everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 66, OpenSUSE 12.2, recorded September 16th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week we're going to talk about OpenSUSE 12.2, which is why I said that, and I'd like to know why it's called 12.2, because all the others do the month, but this isn't February. But it's 12. I'm guessing that's for 2012. Does anybody know the answer to that? How about Chris, the command line godfather and and Fedora ambassador, which won't help you? Do you know why it's called that? <laughs> uh, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's the, I know it's the 12th version of OpenSUSE, um, the 12th major release. But they changed the way they do their release cycle. So now there will not be a 12.0 or a 13.0. It just starts at 13.1 for the next release, if I remember My correctly. My understanding is it came out in 12, so that's the 12, and this is the second major release of the year, hence point two. Um, anyway, that, that was according to one article I read. So I, I did not find verification, but, you know, it's the Internet. You don't really need verification. You just find something and go with it. And those are, of course, the voices of Mr. Chris, Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, Gooey Kid Anderson. Welcome, guys. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us again. Well, if I didn't have you, I wouldn't have a show, because I sure as heck don't do any work for this show. Right. Oh, that's about right. <laughs> See, I do, all, I do all the work after the show. You, you do all the work before the show. It balances out in the end. Sure, sure. Oh, wait, we're supposed to do work before the show? <laughs> well, that's the plan. It doesn't seem to work out that way. Oh, okay. I did work this time ahead of the show. You Thank did. you. Yeah, so you're one for 66. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Mark, that hurts, man. That hurts. Truth often I do does. some work. Yeah. Kind of. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Good to be back. Good to have you all with us. And, of course, we have our usual spate of news uh, to so that we can give a quick uh, gloss over of the review, and it'll still seem like we did a full show. Because uh, that's that's the way we roll around here. So Sometimes. beginning with, I'm, I'm going. I have to assume that you guys didn't didn't color code or anything, but I'm going to assume that Seth put this here. Is that a hot chick or a Taliban insurgent? Yes, uh, I put that in there because apparently, um, what happens is uh, Taliban insurgents they will create a fake pro a fake facebook profile using pictures of hot sexy chicks and try to friend um american soldiers and there's actually several years ago uh some soldiers uploaded pictures of apache helicopters and with a, a camera you know that has the location in it and the insurgents were able to pull down those pictures get the information and launch a mortar attack and take them out um so you know and uh, there was a quote in the article that, you know, big muscular guys are suckers for pretty girls. And so they end up talking to them and sharing stuff. And it, it's a uh, it is a very it's a very good example of a socially engineered attack targeting a specific group. Uh, and I wanted to talk about it just not so much just because. Well, it's you know, because we're big muscular guys and it, it, it applies to us. Yeah. Yeah, but no, but also, you know, for if you have children out there, um, 
I know, you know, like I work with the youth at my church and girls are always posting pictures of themselves and checking in at their own house and saying stuff like, you know, parents are away or whatever like that. So they're telling the entire world that they're home alone. And by the way, this is where my house is. And if they don't have their um, privacy settings right, you can view their profile and see where they live. Um, So I just wanted to bring it up, you know, just for social engineering is a is a big deal, especially as the internet becomes more and more about social media and less about content and if and real real information. So um, anyway, I just uh, I thought it was an interesting story to read. Um, I didn't know if it was kind of warm up material or if it was more news material, but I and uh, it was an informative read. So but. you mean all those porn stars following me on Twitter aren't following me for my witty uh, banter? Right. Well, you know, they might be because we're some witty guys, but uh, you know. Well, if you're if you're waiting for me to give you uh nuclear missile site information, you're out of luck cuz some days I can't even find my car keys. Right, and I I do that with my other profile anyway. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I, it's interesting that your the quote you gave was big muscular guys. I, I think it's more along the lines of guys who are surrounded by only other guys for months at a time. You know, and a hot chick comes a uh, comes a to them in any format, be it digital or or in their dreams or whatever. They're going to pay some attention to it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was a. Uh... I, I was looking for it and I couldn't remember, but that was the gist of a sentence in the article. Um, but uh, it, it was anyway, like I say, it was kind of, it was kind of, you know, you don't really think about that. So, you know, Facebook or any social site can be a great way for troops overseas to kind of stay in touch with their family and friends back home and so they don't feel so isolated but at the same time they have to be careful about what they say yeah we're going out to you know whatever to to do blah 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 on the north side of the village for three days and then a week later we find out that 20 american soldiers died there you know i mean so it was it was an interesting article and i'm glad i took the time to read it and but you will be again, able to read you know, it too because the link will be in the show notes. Yes. And now we're going to step into the Wayback Machine and take you all the way back to 1982 to talk about Blit, an ancient windowed Unix operating system. Yeah, I uh, with monochrome I, not, and everything. Yeah, you know, because I always knew about the Xerox. I believe it was Alto. You know, it's kind of like the first GUI, and this was a Unix. GUI that had multitasking, multi-windows, three-button mouse support uh, designed to work. And I just, from 1982, um, you know, you think about window uh, multitasking GUIs um, didn't really come along until the 90s. It's an 800 Uh, by 1024 portrait display. Um, A lot, everything Xerox did was portrait back then because they were paper junkies. Um, right. A three-button mouse, right-click context menus, multiple windows, uh, and all of the things that we have come to know as uh, a windowed operating system. All the stuff that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates stole. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, you truth. know, and it, it, but it wasn't the Xerox Alto. It was Unix, the, um, the progenitor of Linux. Uh, 
but yes, yeah, so I just it was I had never heard of this, you know, and I uh, I uh, guess I I have some better geek credentials now that I know about built, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, it was just cool, you know, from thirty years ago. We had a windowed multitasking OS where you could do your work in one window, one window, and play Asteroids in the other. So really, thirty years later, we're still doing our work in one window and gaming in the other. Well, you got to have something to switch to when the boss walks in. You know, so right, when right. When you're talking to that cute girl on Facebook, you can have a spreadsheet in the other window. It's 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 right, sort of who might not be a cute girl, might right. be a Taliban insurgent. It was sort of the. Um, <laughs> the android of its day because it was built to run on lower powered hardware uh so the xerox alto uh, was a was a power machine back in the day but this was designed to run on a a motorola mc6800 processor which is a lower power machine kind of cool yeah Yeah, very much i i I very cooled out cooled can you be cooled out i don't know And and actually, I, I don't know what I was gonna say, but it was a very I was I was kind of I I don't know what I'm talking about. I liked it when I ran across this article. It was cool and stuff I enjoy reading about. You're gonna have to to pay, do ten hail marys or demerits or something for bringing actual Linux content to the warm up section of the show. That's not allowed. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry. Here, if I move this down to the new section. Yeah, that's okay. But it's already done. <laughs> See, the deed is done. So, Christopher, you okay. have new hardware you want to uh, talk about. Is it is it the lower-powered MC6800 uh, uh, Motorola processor? Oh, no. I think it's a little bit more powerful than that. <laughs> um, no, I'm finally on the new rig. Um, all the bugs and testing has been done, and now... I am running on a nice brand new Core i5 with so much RAM I don't know what to do with it and a monitor so big that I could probably use it as a lunch tray if I really cared to. Why an i5 instead of an i7? Um, I was looking at, I was thinking about that. I was going to go i7, but I was really thinking about what I use my machine for and I don't really need eight cores. So I figured I'll save an extra $100, put it on the graphics card, and use an i5. I, I'm, I'm sorry. You don't I thought need we eight could cores today. Right. I don't need <laughs> eight cores. I don't even know who you are anymore, Chris. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, so is I, I gave that extra $100 to the graphics card. <laughs> so I went – the graphics card is a 660 Ti. So it's a monster of a graphics card. Yeah, Earl Wallace in the chat room points out that the i7 will give you longer life. It will be obsolete slower. It'll take less time for you to need to upgrade. True, but the motherboard I got is obsolete stuff. What I say though is, if you're building your own rig, pimp it out. I mean, a hundred bucks to go ahead and get four extra cores. Why wouldn't you do that? Because it went to the video card that went from. You know, two years ago, top of the line to this year, top of the line, which for me was much better money spent. But you see, it's so much easier to swap out a video card when a new one comes out next year (laughs) than to swap out a processor. So you should have got the huge processor and then upgraded the video card later. Or do what everybody else in America does, buy them both and go into debt. (laughs) But you know what? I have an an i7 an i5, an i3, and a Celeron. 
all four machines that I use on a regular basis. And functionally, there's no difference because, you know, Chrome works to fine in all of them. And that's mm-hmm. really what I do for the most part. Yeah. So, I mean, for right now, for me, this machine works great. The water cooler on it purrs. Um, you can't even hear the thing running because that water cooler is keeping that processor at 23 degrees C all the time, even when I'm loading it up. So that, I think that's kind of cool. Now, water cooling today isn't what it used to be. Now it's there's a little reservoir and it's all there. I remember back in the days when you had an external circulating tank with a with like a like a fish tank uh, impeller motor on it. Those were that was the good old days of water cooled processors. <laughs> Yeah. No, this one is just a simple, uh, it's a sealed unit. I didn't have to really do any filling on it on my own. I figured it was a good step into the water cooling department. The next time I go and purchase any more upgrades for it, I'll be getting an actual reservoir and everything and putting in um, coolers for the video card, hard drives, and the processor all at once. Wow. (laughs) Seth is shaking his head. His his little matter, classmate yeah. PC netbook with a 266 <laughs> megahertz processor is jealous. <laughs> hey, well, I've had a lot of people jealous. So, I've had a lot of people jealous of this rig when I when they've seen the pictures of it. Which, if you care to look at it, is up on Google Plus and on Facebook under my name. So, <laughs> if you want to go look, there you go. Speaking of Google Plus. We were talking about it before the show, and I thought, you know, we should we should go ahead and bring that on on the air, so to speak. Um, Seth used the classic line that is oft repeated in tech media: "Google Plus is a ghost town," and and that kind of got all over me. And and I thought, you know, that it's almost one of those brain dead memes among tech journalists. Well, nobody uses Google Plus. The fact is, hundreds of millions of people use Google Plus and get tons yeah. of engagement off of it. But because I'm one of those, yeah, because Justin Bieber doesn't get a million followers just by being Justin Bieber, it's not a legitimate social network. Oh, come on, we had a good conversation yeah. going, and now you're going to clam up. Well, we already said it, so we'll say it again and pretend it's the first time. Well, no, I'm you know, I, I don't really disagree with that, but the um. I don't know. Google Google Plus kind of requires you to think and interact, whereas like with Facebook, you're just mindlessly posting stupid pictures. And so, you know, a million people um, repost your picture, so that's awesome. But you know, you you go to Google Plus and you post something, and one person leaves a thoughtful comment. So, um, you know, obviously nobody uses it. Whereas everybody, it's so easy to click that one button in Facebook and not have to do anything. You can like it. You can be someone's quote unquote friend, um, and just say, ha ha, LOL. Um, you know, and, you know, do the picture with the chicken lips and whatever. Um, (laughs) but you know, Google, Google plus, if if you want to interact in Google plus, you have to stop, you have to read what's there and you kind of have to think and actually engage someone, a real person and use real names. And who wants to do that on the internet? Yeah. And I think that's a big difference because you have to be you, uh, more or less. And if you're watching the stream, I just have to apologize for the crappy video quality. Google plus (laughs) is being Google plus. That's what started this whole thing. It's like, I think when more than five or six people try to do a hangout in the world at the same time, it, it goes nuts. Um, and that's what started this whole conversation, but it's, you know, there's, 
it's an entirely different environment. And when you start comparing environment, and it's partly Google's fault because Google compares themselves to Facebook, uh, compares Google Plus to Facebook, and you can't compare the two. They're not the same thing. It's an entirely different audience with an entirely different uh, style of interaction. Mindset. As you said, Seth, Google Plus is, is much more about um, actual interaction instead of, of just mindless actions. Uh, and, you know, there, yeah. yes, there is the plus one button, uh, but it's not like you don't see people um, with web com uh, with commercials on television saying, uh, you know, plus one this on Google. But you do see that on Facebook, like the plus the Facebook like has become uh, just a, a mindless action or Google plus is much more mindful. Yeah, right. I've, but I've had so many big conversations with people on Google plus that it, it just surprises me the people that are over there and how friendly some of them are. Uh, I was making a, uh, I follow a whole bunch of photographers all over the world and I brought up some conversations just on some photos that they posted. And we had a good three day back and forth on it. And it, it's just a nice for me to have somebody who I've never met before in a different country have a back and forth with me in, you know, little Montana. It's interesting to be able to have that type of social reach just because somebody made a, a comment on your po your picture. You can have a conversation for three days on it. You can't do that yeah. on Facebook. Well, you can, but it just rarely happens. Um, and you literally can't on Twitter with its lack of ability to do any kind of threaded conversations. Right. Yeah, I uh, I have a Twitter account that I... I log into a couple of times a year now just to uh, keep it active. But it's, you know, as soon as Twitter went to their money making model of, I know you don't follow this person and you've expressed zero desire in anything related, but I'm going to stick an advertisement for them okay. in your Twitter stream and not let you get out of it. So I'm like, you know, I don't really care much about you if you're doing that. So, yeah. And we have a yeah. comment in the chat room, Earl Wallace, says that he's got a bogus name and a bogus bio on Google Plus. You can do that, but, you know, because it's so automated, it has to at least look like a person. You can't right, say, yeah. you know, um, I'm a zombie and I'm running for president uh, on Facebook. It does on uh, on Google Plus like you can on Facebook. Right. But anybody ever see that thing? It's uh, um, was AMC, the... Isn't that right? Yeah, AMC is having a, dis a disagreement with Dish, and so the what's that zombie show, Walking Dead? Yeah, isn't yeah, being the carried Dead. there, and so in order to bring awareness, the the production company has literally entered a man by the name of A Zombie in the presidential race in like four states. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I mean, I might actually, if it were, if that were in Texas, I might, that might actually be the best choice. Um, you know, so <laughs> welcome to politics, uh, everyday politics. Yeah, he, he's but, going you know, speaking around. On, Go ahead. I was going to say to bring us back onto topic a little bit. You know, pull that rain and and get us back in here. No, I wasn't Plus. done talking about zombies, but okay, fine. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, yeah, we can go shoot some zombies later too, Mark. You know, I have no problem playing some Left 4 Dead. But, uh, no, I was I was making the comment about, have you guys, I know, Seth, you're not much on Google+. Plus. Mark, have you seen a lot of Google talk spam jump up all of a sudden lately, the last couple of weeks? Same thing on Twitter? 
Um, no, I don't think I've ever had any Google Talk spam. See, I've had in the last like say three weeks, I've had like seventeen people try to friend me on Google Plus so they could talk to me over Google Talk. Huh. And it's just I was just wondering if there's anybody else getting Google Talk spammed or is it just me? I um, guess you're just guess. more popular than the rest of us. Is oh, is that like how it used to be a big deal in Yahoo IM? You would get people wanting to friend you in Yahoo IM. Uh, you know, I always yeah. I got that. Yeah, same. I would. I, and they're always yeah, pretty girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And or they always have. Surgeons. They always have new pictures. Click my link. Right. <laughs> Or, hey, I saw your profile on Match.com and thought I'd check you out. I don't have a profile on Match.com, but I guess enough people do that that works. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, that's my other Yahoo email address. So <laughs> <laughs> so uh, who is Bill Mogridge, and why should we care that he's dead? Well, he is the one – he developed – and uh, the clamshell form factor that laptops do today, and it was um, it was kind of used by the military, and even kind of made it up to NASA before he came along with this. Um, most of the portable computers kind of looked like uh, typewriters, um, or just like a uh, a big desktop that you carried around and called portable. But he was an early developer in laptop computers, and um, you know he actually won a patent or was granted a patent when patents used to mean something about a uh, clamshell design. And he actually died last Saturday, but I did not come across this article. I actually f saw it. Sunday night after we finished the show and I thought um I had never heard of him but whenever I uh whenever I read about this article I was like wow you know since we're a computing show we should actually put some real news in there um but yeah Bill what? Mogridge news what what are you doing since when you do know, we put news on this show it's kind of funny <laughs> you never think about that but somebody had to invent that right somebody had to have the first ever keyboard where the screen closed on top of it but Th right. That's laptops. That's the only laptops I've ever known. You know, I, actually, Seth, I got from your dad. If you you remember this old portable computer yeah. that was a with the keyboard snapped on to the 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 floppy disk drives and the monitors, the little uh, five inch uh, monogram monitor, and that that was a a portable machine at the time. But yeah, somebody had to right. come up with that clamshell design, and you just never think about that. Now, yeah. if Apple had come and, up uh, with it, we'd all know who it was. Yeah, well, you know, he probably stole this from Steve Jobs, and that's the only reason he's famous, because we all know Steve came up with everything that's anything in computing. Um, but yeah, so Bill Mogridge passed away at 69 from cancer, um, and he actually died uh, Saturday the 8th. But uh, yeah, anyway, rest so in that's... Peace. Uh, and just, uh, just one day, one week later, yesterday, Saturday, September 15th, X11 turned 25 years old. The the windowing system, if you don't know what X11 is, it's the the underlying system that draws all the windows on uh, Linux machines, uh, on Unix machines, on on Mac OS machines. 
Um, now, Wayland is set to take its place in some places, but X11 is the thing. That's the underlying system that draws uh, everything, and it is 25 years old. So, yeah, maybe it is time to move on to something else. Yeah, but, you know, you think about that. 25 years ago, um, what you know, what programs really are we using from 25 years ago? You know, we're really not using anything. Um, but uh, how much the computer has changed, what, you know, you can say there's still, but 25 years ago, you really didn't even have CD, CD drives. I don't think you really had those in the mid to late 80s. You had the uh, the big floppy disk and the little floppy disk. Well, that's about the time they were starting to come out. But the processor, while it was, uh, was that before the Pentium? Oh, even? long before the Pentium. The- it would have been. Probably yeah. in eighty eighty eight. It was probably even before the x eighty six. Yeah, but the eighty six. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. So, I mean, think about what part of the hardware. I mean, true, you still have a power supply, but even that has changed a lot. You know, we don't use the IDE architecture anymore for the most part. It's SATA, uh, PCI. The original PCI is changed a whole lot. It's not ISA that's really dead but yet we're still using this underlying software from 25 years ago um so 25 plus one day uh the x11 was released now granted it's not the same version it's like um it, that was version one and i think they're up to a um a, well they're up to 11 now and they but they haven't even really got to 12 yet so yeah it's definitely evolved yeah. a lot but uh yeah this uh kind of a milestone yeah it's kind of impressive though for a piece of software to be around that long and not be completely ripped apart and replaced with something already um that just shows while x11 is starting to get long in the tooth it just shows how good it's been for 25 years and we're just now starting to outgrow its abilities now we we talked about this uh a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago how old is linux now the Linux OS, it's not 25, I is would it? Have. It's younger than that. So this would have had to have been on yeah. Unix. So X11 predates uh, Linux even. Yep. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I was reading about how you had to buy it. You know, you had to send it to... Back in the original days of X11, distributions could be ordered by sending a $150 check out to MIT in exchange for a single nine-track tape written in Unix tar format along with a copy of the printed X Windows system documentation. Uh, yeah, you know, that's just... Uh, it was just, I was like, wow, look at what's changed now, especially in the, like the Linux world. Now it's free. You get it, you compile your own kernel and you're, you're off and running or whatever. And paper, you don't even do paper documentation. So, uh, how many of you have experienced, uh, turning a laptop on for the first time and getting it quickly infected? I got uh, busted by Code Red years ago, back before hardware firewalls. Uh, I had a brand new machine and I turned it on. And before I had a chance to even install anything, I got infected. Have you guys experienced that at all? No, I was I doing tech personally. support. Yeah, I was doing tech support when the blaster virus hit. Um, you know that uh, reset the uh, RDP service, and um, you know you you before if you connected to the internet to do updates or to do anything, boom, 
it, it got infected and that was in the uh early 90s when there was really no uh no kind of you know perimeter security at your house um for most people and but so yeah, not to so be outdone no. not to be outdone those industrious chinese people have started infecting machines before they leave the factory so now you don't have to worry wow. about it uh, a customer in Shenzhen, China, took a brand new laptop out of its box and booted up for the first time. Uh, but as the screen lit up, the computer began taking on a life of its own. The machine, had triggered um, triggered by a virus hidden in its hard drive, began searching across the internet for another computer. So uh, apparently, the image put on the machine from the factory in China was already infected, pre-infected for your convenience. Yeah, so this isn't someone who went out and bought a pirated copy of Windows for $5. They bought a new computer, unboxed it, and it was infected. Um, you know, I put this story in here just to show that, wow, look at it. But also, think about it. If you buy a used computer from someone, like I personally, you know, I like to go to a pawn shop and look at their computers. But, you know... If somebody's just going to say, oh, look at this pretty Windows operating system, or if you buy from, say, Craigslist or uh, the Facebook groups that are starting to get popular, you know, somebody pirated a copy of Windows 7 with Bit from BitTorrent or whatever, um, and they stuck it on this computer, you don't know what you're getting. And so just because something is new and shiny doesn't mean that, you know, that it's necessarily good and security is something you have to be conscious of 24 7 yeah and that's crazy because you don't think about the fact that somebody um had to assemble the image on your computer right mm -hmm. it, uh, hp or, or dell or asus or whoever made your computer somebody installed windows on a master machine installed all the crapware on it installed the uh, 47 different antiviruses none of which work very well uh somebody had to do that and there's a tech somewhere in a in a factory in china going out and downloading drivers if need be uh probably off of his own server or, or something but you know there's there this computer was connected to the internet before it existed essentially so somebody assembled this right. image then it was mask duplicated across all the others so yeah it, it's it's not something you think about but it's entirely possible that this thing could be infected before it ever existed that the master image that they put on it had a virus yeah, it's crazy when you think about it that way. That's why, you know, no matter what big box store you get your machines from, it's why the first thing I do to any of them, even if they come from, you know, Dell, HP, anybody, first thing I do is I wipe that factory install off and rebuild it myself. Yeah, apparently yeah, in this article... I was working... Go ahead, let me go ahead. real quick, Seth. Apparently in this article, it's a part of a Microsoft sting that uh, these uh, Chinese manufacturers were uh, installing pirated copies of windows and so that's that's essentially how this came to because you know they're cutting costs everywhere right right yeah you know i was doing uh work on a friend of mine's computer who had um like a 17 year old virus hit it, and their machine was so infected that even the the restore partition that you know because now if you buy a computer you don't get the cds or dvds you get a a quote-unquote protected partition well that partition had became infected and so i had to wow. find a copy of the os to totally blow it away and install from scratch so that's yeah, you when you know you got careful. somebody infected that's when you know you have an infection that's bad is when that 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 protected partitions even infected 
Yeah, That's I crazy. went through. I had to find. I found a root kit, removed it, that revealed another root kit that I removed that revealed a third root kit. And uh, when I removed the third root kit, it wouldn't work anymore. So <laughs> I couldn't even do the restore thing. Um, yeah, but I'm but, yeah. with you, Chris. The first thing I do when I get a new machine is I wipe it, and I start with just a Windows disk from the ground up. Yeah, that's what I do. But we're geeks, right? We would do that. Yeah. So we talked yeah. at length uh, recently about the Samsung-Apple lawsuit and how we thought that Apple probably didn't deserve to win. Well, it turns out Steve Wozniak agrees with us. Steve called me up the other day and said, hey, I was listening to your show. I'm a big fan. Uh, and I, uh, I agree with, uh, with what you said. I don't think uh, Samsung deserved to lose this. And I think that uh, what uh, Apple was calling innovations were actually just small uh, uh, improvements. So, uh, you know, he and I had a good talk. We do that usually every Thursday. He called me up on, on Wednesday this time because it was, it was a, you know, a special occasion. Um, or maybe it was an article on the next web that I'm reading. You know, it could be that too. <laughs> Yeah, I had came across an article several months ago that never seemed to make it into the show that uh, where Steve actually was talking about how awesome the Android phone was and how it was superior to the iPhone in several ways. Um, and then now here's where he like thinks that Apple basically overreacted um, and that one, yeah, they did not deserve to win the thing. And, and he hopes and he thinks the verdict will be overturned later. Yeah, so, but he's uh, also kind of uh, pie in the sky, saying we should just do away with patents by by gentlemen's agreement. All the manufacturers should get together right. and just agree that we're not going to mess with with patents. And that's frankly a little ridiculous. It's you know it's a nice thought, but it's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, but there's that would be a better system than what we currently have. Well, yeah, if, well you know, there's we, too much money in the patent system. Nice. So, yeah, Chris, too much money. You said. Yeah, there's too much money in the patent system. Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. So one more thing and before we get into the, the meat of the show. I don't want to keep this going too long. We've got a lot of other, um, what are these things? Uh, stories, news articles. Stories, uh, yeah. yeah. Stories. But I'm, I'm going to jump, uh, uh, skip over. But I do want to do this one. Toys R Us is releasing I its own tablet. We have the Kindle Fire, we have the Nexus 7, and now from Toys R Us, we have their own kids' tablets that they're planning on releasing. It's going to cost about 150 bucks. It'll be out in the holiday season. Yeah, it's Tabo, not to be confused with Tybo that Billy Banks hawks a lot. Um, but it's supposed to hit the stores October the 21st, and it's designed for uh, basically kids five years and up. Uh, it's you know, so I don't know how polished it's going to be. Um, the processing specs and stuff don't really compete with the Nexus 7, but it has an SD slot um, and a uh, HDMI out that you can't get on the Nexus 7. But yeah, I you know, so it's another. I don't know if this is going to be a significant play in the uh, market space or if it's just you know one more into the crowded landscape, but. Well, just last you know, Christmas, I, I considered buying my daughter, my uh, at the point at that time she was nine, buying her a tablet, mm -hmm. um, and I, I had some you know knockoff Chinese brand with a resistive touchscreen or whatever. But even they were still like 120 bucks. If somebody came out with uh, even a moderately decent quality five inch tablet for 80 bucks, I would buy one for mm -hmm. for each of my two oldest children, probably not the youngest one yet, 
because I just I think that's um, that's where they are right now. They you know they want to uh, play you know Android games on the phones. You know they're constantly wearing the batteries down on our phones. Uh, you know, and I, I don't want 3G or anything like that. I'd love to get them something that just works on the Wi-Fi at the house uh, or, you know, when I happen to be uh, illicitly using my uh, unlimited plan from AT&T and, and uh, being a Wi-Fi hotspot, uh, they could use that. But yeah, I would uh, I would totally buy something like that. But the price point still isn't right. 150 is too high. I think it needs to be about half that. Yep. Yeah. Once they get it down to sub-100. Yeah, I don't know though. For a hundred dollars, I, I, I would love to see something in the hundred dollar range, but I don't think you're gonna get that. Um, I think one fifty is probably the bottom for any kind of decent thing, you know. And this one, their stuff is you're gonna get some free books, games, and educational apps pre bundled in with it. Now, whether they're gonna be any good or if they're something that you could just download for the others, I don't know. But you know, I, I thought it was a. Uh, like I say, we'll see if it's something that turns out to be a hit. Maybe it competes with the Leapster tablet um, that we talked about a few months ago. Um, or if it's just um, something like the Kindle Fire, maybe that there was a splash at front and then it quickly died. Um, but yeah. They're still too expensive to be toys, but they're not functional enough yet to be tools. So they're in that weird no man's land. To get something that's an actual tool... Yep. You got to spend two hundred or up, uh, two fifty, you know, five hundred for an iPad. Um, but you know, anything less than that, they're just with the processing power and the capabilities. They're still they're firmly in the realm of a toy, but they're still too expensive as toys. Yeah, that's true. I, I won't disagree with that. And you shouldn't, because I'm right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, now wait a minute. <laughs> All right, let's talk about OpenSUSE a little bit. So, uh, Seth, you uh, wanted to comment on its ease of installation, right? Well, I would love to comment on its ease of installation if I were able to download it. I mean, you know, it's like I can either kind of cache half the Internet or try 4.7. None of the other distribution that I've ever downloaded or anything near that. You know, Ubuntu, uh, Solaris, uh, Fedora, before they turned to garbage. Uh, you know, a couple of gigs, okay. But this was, I tried several times and it would die at some point. I could not get a complete download at my house. No, you know, granted, if you live in the city and have unlimited bandwidth and can just stream, you know, five Netflix shows at once, good for you. But I just upgraded to 756K at my house. And even with that turbo boost, uh, my internet connection would reset at some point before I could get it downloaded. And, you know, because, and the thing is, it didn't show that it failed. It showed complete. So I pull out Pin Drive, which I was surprised hasn't updated to include this yet. So I went to UNet Bootin, or however you say that. And it would hang, and then it would finish, but there was only like 10 megs on the flash drive. And then I realized, oh, that's because it did not download. So, you know, I know OpenSUSE, they they are listening for our shows on bated breath. I'm asking you, please, please, please don't make your downloads so huge. 
Well, Seth, the solution to that problem, and by the way, if one of the benefits of recording in a basement, somebody above me just decided to take a bath, and that hissing sound you hear is the water running through the pipes. It'll go away in a couple of minutes. Uh, but I think the solution to your problem is torrent it instead of download it from the web because torrents are better at picking up and stopping and picking up and, and, and going over long periods of time. But yeah. the problem with well, torrenting something that large is it would not finish in time. I would still be waiting on the torrent to finish. Um, I know this from other four plus gig things I have tried to torrent in the past. All perfectly legal, <laughs> so, of course. Yes. I, I was uh, I was beta testing something to see if I wanted to buy it. It did not work, so I quickly destroyed it and um, never used it again. <laughs> Well, in uh, Open Susie's defense, I will say that you know that you could have tried the live CDs that they do offer just below the ginormous 4.7 gigabyte download for the DVD. Which the reason it's 4.7 gigabytes is it includes KDE4, GNOME 3, XFCE, um, what's the other one? LXDE or L, um, whatever that open box. Uh, how many other different desktop environments are there? Because OpenSUSE is one of the only distribution that gives you all of them on the DVD. So that's why. Well, my question for you is: Can you um, can you then take that live CD and install it, or yes. is that only for running? Oh, you can. Yes. The live, well, that's how I installed that. my version that I downloaded and tested. I downloaded the live KDE version because, yes, I am going to review this over KDE because I hate GNOME. Sorry, GNOME people. It sucks. <laughs> Amen. Everyday so, GNOME yeah, haters I just right downloaded, here. When, on the live, when you download the live CD, you get a prompt at the very beginning. Do you want, a, do you want the, live, the live version, which has an install button in it? Or do you want to just go straight to the install? Um, either way, if you install it off of the live version, it does call to the internet to download the packages, that, the um, some of the updated packages it needs. Um, uh, I guess we'll start I guess right if I had into uh, read this in this. Should I keep going into my review, or do you guys want to talk about yeah. that really quick? Well, no, I was, you know, I, now that I look and I read down about Live Gnome, I, I do see where it says can be installed as is, which I did not notice that before. So that's a uh, shame on me, I guess. See, that's a combination documentation failure and, and user failing to read the documentation. <laughs> yeah, RTFM. Kid, there you uh, go. But, you know, but then again, I'm a techie, so I don't need to read the documentation. I just do it. Yeah, the, the the instructions are what you read after you break it. Right, and I was just too bummed out. Well, and plus, I was um, I was working on some computers for people, and so you know, when you uh, reinstall Windows XP, it takes you about a week to download everything anyway. Oh my god! So um, to get it back up to date. <laughs> I'm still dealing with that. I, I think I mentioned on the last show that my primary um, uh, Audacity machine, the laptop I use for that, had a hard drive corruption issue. I told you I was running Spinrite on it. Spinrite didn't find any problems, which means the drive itself was healthy, just the data got messed up. So uh, yep. I tried to, to recover it in a, a few different ways and just couldn't. Eventually, I had to reformat and start over, um, only I didn't have 
the XP media. I've got COA labels all over the place. Like I, I could put my hand on about five of them, but I don't have a single disc. So a good friend of uh, ours in the community, Corey, uh, emailed me an ISO, and I installed that. And then none of the COAs I had worked with the ISO he gave me for whatever reason. It was either I had OEMs and he had um, uh, uh, commercial, what, what do they call that? It's not OEM. Retail. But- Retail. Volume. Um, or, or yeah, retail. or volume or something. But anyway, I finally got all that sorted out, managed to install it. And then I spent the next week in driver hell trying to find, okay, on this model, uh, model laptop, uh, Dell only ever released it with Windows 7. So all of the drivers on the Dell web- website are Windows 7 drivers. But I I need to use XP because the the mixer I use doesn't work in Windows 7. So I was having to go out and actually look up the VIN ID number, right, the PCI number in the uh-huh. uh, in the thing, and type that in and try to find drivers for it. Finally, I never did get the wireless driver. Finally, I went and bought a twenty dollar USB wireless card because it was it was easier than going through all the trouble to find the driver for the thing that's actually in the machine. That's crazy. Yeah, but that's typical for Windows. Yeah, well, Windows so, XP, it is an 11-year-old operating system. Yeah, that Microsoft so, really wishes would die, so we'd yeah. buy something else again. But All right, so enough <laughs> about that. Talk to us about OpenSUSE and all of its buttery goodness that never needs a driver, right? Well, no. Um, I will say, though, when I installed, when I ran from the live CD and installed onto my, uh, I, I, I tested this on a Dell laptop, uh, lab, uh, Latitude D620. So not a brand new machine, but if, it's been a rugged machine that I've uh, put through the ringer a few times. Um, freaking it, old it, machine. All the, wow. It, it's a little older. Not too old, but older. Um, but it's my it's my usual test subject for when I install things on. Uh, the install went good. It found the hard drives and all the keyboard shortcuts and everything else seems to work great. Um, I'm having an issue with the wireless because it's Broadcom, and we both, all the three of us, know how great Broadcom drivers are for Linux right now. Well, Broadcom drivers, uh, by the way, the, suck in Windows too. Just you know, to very be fair. Very true. Um, the Bluetooth yeah, like worked out of the you box. Broadcom, you know. But I was really surprised that the Bluetooth driver worked immediately out of the box, both in the live the live version um, and the installed version, without very much issue. Um, I've always been a big fan of the OpenSUSE install. They use their YAS program to do their install. It's very, they've dumbed it down enough so that anybody could install it, but still left all the advanced tools there too. So if you wanted to change your hard drive partitioning, if you wanted to change, you know, all the little underneath pinnings, you have the ability to do that, or you can just click next all the way through and be just as safe which is kind of nice. It, it did see the Windows partition and did shrink it like it was supposed to. Um, didn't have any issue with that. And I just like the Yast install tool. Uh, not, not to get away from, you know, the Fedora installer is okay too, but the Yast one has always been a lot cleaner of an interface. And then when you install, or when you get done, you have the bright green of OpenSUSE in their lizard, all the different lizard icons that they have on their desktop. They are a fan Which is of kinda, the green. Oh, very much so. And um, I couldn't get the our share thing to work over the the th- over the cam. So since you guys can't see it, 
And, uh, can I get the... No, I can't get it to tilt right, so you guys don't get the glare from the from my monitor. But you see that bright green in there? It's it's way bright green. Uh, I see green, I, and I see uh, a, a KDE plasmoid, that telltale yep. sign. Yep. Is that uh, why you're wearing a green shirt today, Chris? Uh, no, actually, it's my 7-Up shirt, which, if anybody's okay. noticed on the live stream, I'm drinking 7-Up tonight because I am fighting off the sickness that my daughter and son have been dragging around my house for the last week. So I'm trying to dodge the old stomach bug that they're trying to give me. This show brought to you by the makers of 7-Up, proud sponsors of the Element OP Network since 2012. So we up. wish. Caffeine never had it, <laughs> never will. Until it did. I think it does now. But I remember when that was the uh you remember that guy? <laughs> never yeah, had the big it. Black never guy, will, yeah. 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 Uh but anyway, continuing on with the with my ideas on Susie. It's installed nice. Um I'm really impressed with how clean the interface is. The uh, Compared to Fedora's version of KDE uh, and Kubuntu's version of KDE, this is as raw KDE as KDE can be. There is no extra stuff installed other than what's supposed to be there for KDE. It, it's it's one of the newer versions of KDE. Uh, I think they're running 4.7, which is the most current version off of the KDE website. It, it's just butter smooth. The, the extra couple of months that they spent working on stability shows. The only time I had an issue was on my test rig at work with the NVIDIA card. And I think it's just because NVIDIA and Susie don't like each other too much. Uh, that seems to be a common thread with may, the main reason why I don't run OpenSUSE as my main rig is they never seem to install the NVIDIA drivers correctly. There's always you got to go and do these extra 12 steps in order to get the op the NVIDIA drivers to install. The YAS tool, for being a, a, control, a control panel to do everything, it does everything. Um, they also have built-in tick boxes if you wanted to have all the different um, OpenSUSE repositories uh, for codecs and extra programs and everything else. They're a click away. Where in Fedora, you have to go find it, and in the Kubuntu, you have to go find the correct uh, repositories for them. OpenSUSE gives them all into, into their little thing that you can just click and go. It's a really nice interface. I'm really surprised. The Also, OpenSUSE has something that no one else does. It has their little search for a package and we'll install it for you thing on their website. That's built in. There's a an automatic built-in tool into their YAS thing for that to work as well. So you don't even have to go to the website to search for a package. You can do it. Um, for example, um, Pythos is a great Pandora streamer client, but it doesn't have a nice, it doesn't have any RPM support. So it's nice that OpenSUSE gives that to you up, up front without any problem. All right. I'm just letting you breathe there for a minute. Take another sip of tasty, delicious, caffeinated, free, caffeine-free 7-Up. Uh, sure, sure. Will do. 
So what is uh? So we got to the install. The overall process of installing on a scale of one to ten, what would you give it? I would have to say at least an eight. There's a couple of things they could do to clean it up even more. Um, did you did this on they, you did this on real hardware, not in a VM? Correct. I did it on two different real hardwares and in a VM. All right. Was the experience different between the two at all? No. Uh, it was straightforward. The they used the oh, what is that open source version of NVIDIA's drivers? Uh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it works. It works on. It worked on because the the test rig at work has an NVIDIA card. It picked that up right away and ran without a without a problem with the NVIDIA open source driver. The 3D rendering had, and all those effects working. In, yes. In it? Yes. Even on the laptop with the Intel chipset, it also has all the 3D effects turned on. Um, and that's the other thing that I like about KDE over GNOME to start with is KDE has some of their effects turned on. Even if the the graphics card isn't 3D enabled, they still have figured out a way to manipulate the system enough to put 3D the the 3D effects on, uh, like the shadowing of text doc or the boxes. So you get the the background shadow that's on even if you don't have a 3D enabled graphics card. Uh, there's a lot of things that they do out of the box that just makes the the overall polish of the system so much cleaner than some of the other KDE installs. All right. So you're in, you're in the KDE environment. Uh, what makes OpenSUSE stand out from anyone else? See, that's the, besides their icons and the, the typical green coloring, it's KDE. Uh, no matter what breed of, underpinnings you go with KDE is KDE that's one of the nice things about KDE it doesn't matter if it's on Kubuntu, Fedora OpenSUSE or Backtrack it's all feels the same no matter which one you're in so if you're looking for something in KDE you don't have to go hunting all over the place because it's going to be in the same place no matter where you are all right, so we've kind of reached a point when we talk about these things where uh, Linux has matured to the point where, for the most part, Linux is Linux, and you know if you pick a KDE or a GNOME uh, or a, you know or a GNOME three or a GNOME two, whichever one you pick, it's kind of the same, right? Uh, so it's it's kind of hard to find reasons to pick one or the other. Uh, OpenSUSE or SUSE in general has been really uh, corporate desktop friendly. Uh, did you test out any of the goodies that they put in there that are supposed to make it better for corporate environments? Uh, not this time. I've done a couple of times before. I have played with it, but it's never been, you know, out of the ordinary. Everything seems to work just like they pretty much bill it to. OpenSUSE so, 12.2. It just works. Yeah, it does. Uh, the other thing that I found really interesting is, have you guys ever tried to join... An open or a Linux in general to an Active Directory system. Uh, I have, and I found that uh, the two easiest to do it were SUSE-based distros and um, Mandriva-based distros. In my experience, yeah, uh, they've even they, they've worked on that. Still, um, it's still 
it's gotten to the point where it's just as simple. If you know what to turn on inside of OpenSUSE, it just works. Um, they've also tinkered with the firewall like Fedora has, where it's it's not as quick of a restart between where Fedora is instant, OpenSUSE, you still have to wait for it to do its little rewrite and restart the firewall where OpenSUSE or Fedora's is instant. So I I see there's a little bit of work that need to be done between the two there. It might just be that OpenSUSE hasn't implemented the firewall tinkerings that Fedora has done yet. Um, I know Fedora released it, so I don't know if it just hasn't made it into 12.2 or if it's going to come down the pipe with an update later on. The other thing I noticed was dry, or third party like Codex and Flash and Java, those all came down without me hunting for them, which was kind of nice. Um, I didn't have to go to Adobe's page to go get any of the Flash stuff or the the Java stuff for Java. It was just uh, when you did your your first update, it automatically asked, "Do you want Codex support? Do you want Flash? Do you want Java?" And if you said yes, you got it. Now, and again, this is if you would have downloaded the uh, the uber huge um, everything DVD. All of that would have been in it already, though, right? No, no, no the they Java can't redistribute those. Yep, they they can't. Uh, they they could if they went through the steps to do it. Like uh, what was that right. distro we did? The Fedora Ubuntu. Fuduntu. Yes, they went through the steps to become a re- the to be able to re-release it. OpenSUSE hasn't, um, which you know that's not a big deal in any way because all you have to do is you just say yes on that first update and you get it. And there's really very little advantage to them uh, distributing it because the moment the CD is burned, it's obsolete because they change so yep. rapidly. It's almost um, no difference because yeah, you have Flash and it works, but the first time you go to a website, Flash is going to say it's going to say your Flash is out of date. Yeah, right. that's true. All right, this is the point where I should ask a question because you're both being silent. So <laughs> yes, I'm waiting for more. Ask me questions. Tell me, ask me what do you think about it. What's the square root of pi? Pi over two. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quick aside, doesn't have anything to do with anything. I don't know if they're anywhere in the world, but here in Atlanta, there's a chain of restaurants called Pizza Pie, spelled Pizza 3.14. Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never had their pizza, but I want to go there just for, for their geek cred. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, I want to go to Atlanta now just so I can eat there. So <laughs> That sounds cool. All right, so uh, Chris, we need to start wrapping it up. We're hitting about an hour here so far. So uh, give me uh, your top overall uh, impression or your overall impression, your thing you liked best about it and the thing you wished were uh, most wished were different about OpenSUSE. Oh, let's see. Um, I would say this isn't quite grandma's OS yet. It's getting close. Uh, I literally, the first time I installed it, I just went through and just say next to everything to see what it would be like if, you know, somebody who didn't know what they're doing installed. It was butter smooth. The system started up without a problem. Even 
the only thing I wish they would do is give you a little more uh, dri- driver hell. I have a feeling that for the Broadcom driver, it's going to be pulling teeth. But that's going to be that way for any distribution of Linux right now. Broadcom and some of the other distribution or some of the other hardware just don't work. Um, I am very impressed with how OpenSUSE handles some of the drivers for, say, printers. That really surprised me. I had a, I have a couple of printers that work that are a pain and a bear to get to work in Linux. And OpenSUSE just said, "Oh, you have that? There you go. There's the download, and there you have it installed." So they did a really good job trying to get printer. And I don't know if there was a if it was a bullet point for this release to get printers much better, but they did it. Um, I think that's in part uh, part of a deal with the devil that that SUSE made a while back. With Microsoft, they did a cross-licensing uh, agreement, uh, basically uh, uh, paid Microsoft a chunk of money to be lawsuit-proof or a little more lawsuit-proof, but I also think they got a little better um, in inroads for things like those pesky Windows printers and a few and, and working with Active Directory and a few things like that because they seem to do better even in, in a lot of cases than Red Hat, which is sort of the... Uh, enterprise Linux. I think OpenSUSE is better, at least on the desktop side, uh, than than uh, Fedora and, and Red Hat are uh, on the desktop. Red Hat probably still has the the lead in the on the server side. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I did not test any of the server if you the server side installs to see how well the server works. Um, I figured that was a little outside of our jurisdiction right now. But if you guys wanted some more information on it, you know, I could probably do another VM and test it. Yeah, and, and, and in the SUSE world, there's the SLED, SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop, which is not free and, in fact, costs roughly the same as Windows. Uh, but yep. it is it's OpenSUSE Plus. Uh, it's got all the OpenSUSE goodness plus some proprietary stuff on the back end that, uh, that they say, it hasn't been my experience with it, uh, but they say that it, it can be a drop-in replacement for a Windows workstation in the enterprise. That's their goal, anyway. Really? Yeah. Oh, SLED and their... I can't think of what their server-side version of, of SLED is, but from the people that I know that run that high-end stuff, it's it's some pretty high-end equipment that does a bang-up job for anything. But see, OpenSUSE, just, we've talked about this before, OpenSUSE is the crucible for SLED, just like Fedora is the crucible for Red Hat. That's where they work out the bugs. So when you get OpenSUSE, you're going to get bugs. It's a given. But you're not paying the $100 per seat for it either. So uh, right. you, know, you get the goodies uh, and you pay for it in headaches instead of cash. Right. Yeah, because nothing's free. You, if you're not paying one way, you're paying another. Right. But yeah, right, any I would final words say, about OpenSUSE? I was just going there, Mark. I would definitely say that if you are looking for a bang-up job on their on the KDE experience, you can't miss SUSE. Um, it, it's definitely on the top. I would say it's still in the top three in my book. You know, Fedora, OpenSUSE, Kubuntu. Those are my top three goes when it comes to when people ask me what distributions they go with. Um, I would definitely say it's in the top three of my books, but I would also say it's not for the tech illiterate. You need to know a little bit because like if you are trying to get the NVIDIA driver to go in, you're going to need to learn how to go into the, into 
you know, the command line and do some of the, the edits that you have to do there. So it's good, but not for the faint of heart. And if I were a little more enterprising, I would have gone and tried the uh, GNOME version, just to give you an idea of what that's like. Uh, GNOME tends to have a little more, shall we say, baggage associated with it than KDE. Uh, and it would have uh, it's definitely going to be a different experience. But I suspect that it's sort of been the tradition of SUSE. They would give you the pure GNOME experience. Uh, so, you know, if, if it's GNOME 3, then it's GNOME 3. Yeah. Right. I would say they're, they're all about Although, the same. Gnome 3 is so bad, they probably want to make it less bad. So. <laughs> well, you know, f uh, Ubuntu well, has spent a lot of time trying to make Gnome 3 less bad, and so have the Mint guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I wonder if Sousa has put that effort in, or if it's just Gnome. It's it's sort yeah, of their, more... their style to just leave it as is. Yeah, they, they try right. to be as, as vanilla as they can be. And this one just shows that. But I'm like, I, um, last week I made a comment about I wonder how well the extra three months would affect the open, you know, the, the day one release bugs. I didn't really have any day one bugs. They, I was very impressive on that. All right. Excellent. Well, cool. of course, we didn't try it in day one, did we? we? We waited a couple of weeks, or did you download it when it first came out? I was on it day one. Well, it just, it just recently. Yeah, it just recently came out. Yeah, in, in terms of Linux podcasts, we're late, which means we didn't do the day of. Right. Well, I had it I had it downloaded, yeah. and the first install was done day one. Cool. Just so I could test it, because I wanted to see if, if there were going to be any show-stopping bugs right away you know like fedora always has something that usually bites uh, you know i love i hate to say that but every distribution it seems like i got that one piece of hardware that is broken day one right um <laughs> right. i didn't have any of that problems except for the the nvidia card but that's been a constant with open and me so i was really impressed with how smooth everything was that sounds like a bad summer replacement television series, Open Susie and Me. Yeah, well, or it might come out next oh, next season on NBC because, you know, they need a good reality show that doesn't cost <laughs> any money to produce. So, and if they make an anime about Ubuntu, I'm sure they can come up with a reality show. Which, you know, I read the first issue. And it was nothing I wanted to read the second issue about. No. So, uh, so the manga, was, even the fact I, I that it was manga wasn't good it. enough, huh? Right. It, the fact that it was manga, I finished the first episode. Um, you know, I, uh, and yeah, I won't, I, I don't think there was, I think they only did like four episodes, which that's, if you're into mangas, there are a lot, most of them are pretty short. Um, but even I think there was only four or five. I did not want to read the other three or four because, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe because it was one, it was high school geeks and it was just not something I really cared about anymore. Um, but yeah, and it just wasn't that good to begin with. So, yeah, I, it was going to be that was going to be my link was the Ubuntu manga, but uh, it, it did not pass the Seth test. So <laughs> I had to well, Seth, what is your link for this week then? 
Well, I came across this um, article from uh, the Everyday Linux User blog, and it's the five best sources of support for Linux. And it just kind of gives an overview. Of course, you know, the first one being Google. If, if you ever, and this is true for anything in computers, if you have an exact error message, type that into Google. And, you know, the standard rules apply. Don't click the top stuff because they're probably ads and not all sources on the Internet are created equal. But um, Google is a good place. Linux support forums, IRC chat rooms and Yahoo Answers, which Yahoo Answers is really cool. And then he goes on to list some of the forums for some of the major releases like um, there is now OpenSUSE isn't on here. Well, no, actually it is forums.opensuse.org slash forum.php. Um, so he lists the forums for some of the major Linux releases. Um, anyway, I just thought it was a good place to go for if you have questions about Linux and you don't want to come to our forums and get our personal spin on things. Well, here are some others that are maybe just a step below us in terms of uh, awesomeness. I think you're being a bit generous by saying that some of the major Linux distributions, when Zorin and Bodhi are on the list, maybe it's not quite major Linux distributions. Well, but it has Ubuntu, Mint, Fedora, PC Linux, OpenSUSE, um, Magia, which is the... Um, formerly Mandrake, formerly yeah, Mandrake. Mandriva. Yep. Yeah, Debian, Arch, CentOS, Puppy. Uh, and I've read a lot of good things about Bodhi. I've never tried it personally, but... So I don't know. It sounds like something you don't want on you. Oh, I got Bodhi on my shirt. (laughs) Yeah, but ooh, I have Ubuntu. What's in Ubuntu? Well, there is that. That sounds like something you want to see a doctor and get rid of. Right, or make a manga about. (laughs) All right, and uh, uh, what's your name, Chris? Do we have a command line tip this week? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually, I have a couple that I'm going to throw out. They're they're going to be open, Susie specific because. Well, this week was Open Susie. I think I've touched on them before, but I'll bring them up again. Uh, the command line to update your whole system is Zuff is was it Zipper Z Y P P E R, and then D U D U P will do a uh, complete upgrade of air, for all the repositories that you have installed. It'll automatically go through them and make sure that they're all all the packages installed are their most current version. And will upgrade outside of, like, if you're on a certain repository, but there's a newer version in that repository over there, it'll upgrade to the newer version. No matter, it'll cross um, repositories. That is always a nice tool, but I will warn: be careful using the DUP because it could brick your. You could pick a, a package that will brick your system, or at least break your install to the point where you have to recover it. The other one I'll bring up is if you were like me and ended up with a broken NVIDIA install, Yast works from the command line. So when you boot up and you're just getting that nice text-based login, you can still load up Yast and go in and remove the NVIDIA tools and roll back. So that was always that's always one thing I do like is that they do give you Yast power from the command line. All right. And next week, uh, we will answer a listener request. And if I were better at this job, I would have the uh, email in front of me and uh, be able to read the guy's name, but I don't. So unnamed listener uh, emailed us or or sent a a contact uh, saying, 
hey, you guys should do a show about Linux for kids. And uh, we got to thinking, you know, we've done stuff around that area before. We've talked about uh, Linux in schools. We've talked about uh, Linux uh, in the living room, but we've never specifically focused on Linux for kids. So we'll talk about uh, maybe some Linux distributions aimed for kids or some of our favorite kids apps. You know, the Tux uh, for Kids series will surely be uh, featured in there. Uh, But that's what we've got coming up next week. Uh, Linux for kids. So if you have kids or know somebody who has kids, and that means I've covered everybody now, um, you should listen to the show. So and what's uh, gonna be, what, I'm going to say something real quick, Mark, about that, which will be really good for me because I just I'm donating some computers to the local preschool, and I have a Linux install for kids on them. So I'll be able to bring that up in my experiences with that and the fact that I've actually given I've had kids sit down that are pre you know preschoolers on this distribution probably by that time. Cool. Which means Awesome. What I just heard there, Seth, was we don't have to do any work. Chris has the show covered oh, for next week. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. You, you guys have to pull your word, weight Mark. too. Awesome. Come on. Pull <laughs> hey, your okay, weight I'll too. come up with new stories. That's right. All the ones we didn't use this week. (laughs) Seth will just copy the news stories from this week we didn't cover, paste them into the show notes next week, and his job is done. And I, of course... No, I I enjoy looking up the the news and going through and and learning about Linux and, you know, touching the Linux blogosphere uh, in preparation for the show. So that's... It's cool. You know, I get to learn stuff. Uh, Anyway... Don't ever stop learning. Yay. Um, Wait, who's, okay. I'm done with that. <laughs> whose tagline is that? Somebody has a tagline. Never stop learning. Oh, Bjorn Berendt, who's been on the Taiwan Tech and is a friend of the Element OP Network. That's his tagline. Never stop learning. Yeah. Anyway. You know, G.I. Joe is information is ammunition uh, or something. So. <laughs> and on that note... When we start invoking G.I. <laughs> Joe, it's time, time to say goodbye. But hey, if you'd like to be like the unnamed listener who I can't remember the name of, and I will mention you on, mention you on the show without remembering your name, you can do that by going to elementop.com and clicking the contact button uh, like the unnamed person did. Uh, you can send me an email, which I will read and then promptly forget your name of, uh, and then um, we, we will have you on the show. If you've got a suggestion, something you want to – well, I said we'll have you on the show. Sure, we'll have you on the show. Why not? I'll just I'll just make that invitation to you. You want to be on the show? Just say the word, and and you can be on the show. But no, and yeah, we haven't you done can, a listener spotlight in a long time. That's true. A way that you can really be on the show in in uh, three minutes or less uh, fashion is by uh, calling us and leaving us a voicemail at five five nine I am Opie. Uh, call our Google Voice line. Leave us a voicemail. We will play it on the show. Um, but yeah, uh, elementopie.com. That's the place to go to uh, communicate with us. Go to the forums, make a forum post. Also, Seth has been doing a pretty good job uh, of um, keeping the links thread up to date. So uh, his weird stuff. And and Chris, uh, Seth, you also included Chris's uh, command line tips in there, or is it just you? Uh, It was just me. All right. So it's it's Seth's egotism corner. Uh, So you can go there and and check it out. But uh, anyway, do that. Go there. I hereby command you. Go to elementop.com and uh, feedback. Feedback. Come on. That was funny. That was a good joke. It was. Really. Trust me. Yes. Sure. Sure. Sure it was. 
All right. On behalf of Chris Neves and Seth Anderson, this is Mark saying, I'm done with you all. Good night. And that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.